Our second reading today comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, the ninth chapter, and can also be found in the middle of your bulletin insert, should you wish to read along. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking with him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. From the very first words of this morning's gospel passage, Luke's original readers would have recognized that we are being prepared to receive the message, something new is happening. About eight days after these sayings would have been all it took. Eight being the number of new beginnings would have been the tip-off. But then in the passage itself, we can check off thing after thing that has been accomplished and completed in order to open the new way for this new thing. The lineage of the ancient prophets culminates with the greatest of the prophets, Moses and Elijah, speaking with Jesus. Tick. We see the completion of the Hebrews' centuries, centuries long search for the Messiah close with the book ending of Jesus' baptism with God's voice speaking again, this time naming him as God's chosen. And we see the physical presence of God not only light on Jesus in the form of a dove as it did in his baptism, but this time inhabit Jesus, literally transfiguring his physical appearance as it had with Moses, as he spoke with God. So we are about to begin something new. Jesus sets the stage for these changes with the sayings that we heard about mentioned in eight days after these sayings, by Jesus asking the disciples who they say he is. It is, of course, 
the disciple with the least functional verbal filter, <laughs> our friend Peter, who answers, the Messiah of God. Jesus then lays the groundwork for the disciples to begin their new ministries in this new time by telling them what it will mean to follow him. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. To make sure they get it, he elaborates. With those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. The proverbial blinker is on, signaling the turn already in progress. But what is this new thing? Where is Jesus headed? In all of the commentaries that I read, our passage this morning is felt to be closely connected with the Exodus, the departure of the Israelites from Egypt and from their enslavement to the Pharaoh. So we can assume that the turn signal that is blinking now is showing the disciples, and therefore us, the way into freedom, just as it did for the Israelites. What all Hebrews would also understand, however, is that this movement into freedom by necessity is also, and perhaps most importantly, a movement into complete dependency on God. Anyone ever felt completely dependent on God? Anyone? How does it feel? Vulnerable. Scary. 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 A little desperate. Terrifying. Paralyzing. Disorienting were some of the descriptors that I came up with. There is an out-of-control quality that, if you ask me, reveals both the truth of how out-of-control we actually are at every moment of every day, as well as how doggedly we work to deny that truth. My husband and I recently went to the movie The Big Short, which takes a look from the inside at the collapse of the U.S. housing market in 2000 and 2008, which then led to the Great Recession. Say what you will about greed, which undeniably plays a huge role in this devastating incident. What I found most striking was the theme repeated in this movie of a world blinded by the expectation that everything would continue as it was, despite numerous indications to the contrary. My husband, Newland, who worked in that very industry 
at that very time tells a story of a man he knows will call him Joe. He went to his boss in 2005 and voiced his concerns about the instability that he was seeing in this market as mortgages would come across his desk and the potential of this whole thing and its domino effect on the economy. The response from Joe's boss was to tell him to look around him and to take a moment to pause at every one of his colleagues' desks. Joe's boss gave him a moment and then looked him straight in the eye and said if he were to act on his concern, every one of them, including Joe, would be out of a job, period. The blindness was to continue. No more questions need to be asked. Our scripture today is a bit of a big, short moment. The floor of the lives of the disciples is about to cave in. Jesus sees what is happening, and unlike Joe's boss, warns them repeatedly of the devastation to come. And yet Peter, in his blindness, wants to build three dwelling places. I've often thought the phrase, not knowing what he was saying, tacked on to the end of Peter's request to build these dwelling places was a bit odd. But perhaps... It's actually one of the most poignant lines in the pericope. We go about our business as if today will be unchanged from yesterday and tomorrow will be a repeat of today. And yet Jesus speaks with Moses and Elijah of his departure, which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. Now, the Israelites were called out of slavery and into freedom. That was their departure. But Jesus, in our passage today, is called to Jerusalem, to the seat of power which has confronted him his whole ministry, if not his whole life. And, of course, what we know now as we read this is that this call is ultimately to his death. So how do we explain Jesus' movement to Jerusalem as the mirror of the Israelites' movement into freedom? I don't know. Except that I do know. Fervent prayers in the face of sheer hopelessness is freedom. Knowing, despite no one else understanding, is freedom. The presence of the Holy seemingly out of nowhere speaking to us lovingly and tenderly is freedom. 
the willingness to move forward while still feeling completely lost is freedom. All of these are signs of the Lenten journey of transformation, the journey into freedom. Am I right? My friends, we embark on this annual pilgrimage of the soul this Wednesday as we enter into Lent. So as we prepare ourselves, I would invite us all this year to be aware of the movements of our souls both towards freedom and away from it, for the journey is almost never a straight line. I would invite us all to be aware of those things in our lives, interiorly and exteriorly, from which we are being called to depart, and those things that we are being called to journey towards. I would invite us to be aware, or as aware as we can be, of our own blindness to those things that perhaps terrify us, that perhaps paralyze us, and that perhaps disorient us. To examine what it is that we hang on to with our expectations of sameness, even in the face of evidence to the contrary. For I have to wonder if being willing to open to God's presence in those things and at those times is not the first baby step into freedom. A blessed Lenten journey to you all. Amen.